in our study of Romans. So today we'll be finishing up uh, Romans chapter 7. Last week we looked at Romans 7 uh, verses 1 through 12. And this week we'll continue in verses uh, 13 through 25. Um, So let me uh, open our time together uh, in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we do uh, praise you for how you have breathed life into us, even on a, uh, a day which we see um, the visible effects of, of wind as it gusts outside, and we can hear it, and we can see its effects. So we uh, see the workings of your Spirit in us as it um, uh, changes us and transforms us through our union with Christ. And we uh, thank you for how that spirit uh, guides us into all truth and shows us ourselves and uh, shows us our sinfulness and indeed um, uh, causes us to war with ourselves against the sin that dwells in our flesh. Lord, help us to be spiritually minded, um, especially as we study uh, your word this morning. May your spirit uh, be with us and encourage us and remind us of the um, power that the Spirit gives us, um, that we are not left uh, helpless against uh, the indwelling sin in ourselves, but you uh, empower us and even take our works, which are tainted with sin, and transform them into works pleasing in your sight. How you take even um, feeble prayers Uh, such as this one, and uh, that spirit um, makes them eloquent before you. Lord God, um, uh, guide us into all truth this morning concerning uh, your gospel. Help us see our uh, daily needs uh, for your grace, that even as we grow in sanctification, um, we never escape our need for your uh, grace daily. Um, that uh, we still need you as much as uh, on the first day of our Christian lives. And in fact, as we grow in grace, um, we are increasingly aware of our, our greater need for you as we see sin for what it truly is. Uh, teach us now, uh, bless our conversation with one another, and um, give us uh, uh, renewed Uh, wills and minds and help us to act as you've called us to act in accordance with your good and holy law. We ask these things in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, um, I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 7, but again, we're mostly going to be focused on verses uh, 13 through 25. And I'm actually going to read the first part of chapter 8, just so we can get a little glimpse. Um, There are a lot of... um, Uh, verbal connections between the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. And so we can see where Paul is going to be continuing, um, even though we're not going to deal with chapter 8 until next year. (laughs) It's weird to say, until next decade. Uh, Isn't that weird to say here? Like I had on the radio the other day, last night was the last full moon of this decade. Wait, what? (laughs) Um, It's weird to think. (laughs) 
is year 20 the end of the decade or the beginning of the decade? So, yeah. But the last of the teens. How about that? We can't, we can't say teens anymore. We're into the 20s next year. All right. Uh, well, let me read for us uh, God's word uh, in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read into chapter 8. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Like my, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new, the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Uh, May he bless it as we talk of it this morning. All right. So um, once again, we see Paul um, starting with one of these, um, uh, these objections, accusations made about his teaching in this case, uh, an accusation, um, did that which is good then bring death to me? And once again, we have this strong um, negative, um, by no means, um, again, an emphatic no. Um, so why is it not um, God's law that is responsible for, for death? So um, he's been describing um, the law, and he's been... Um, uh, uh, he's been dealing with misapprehensions uh, of his teaching uh, about the law, um, but because he's made such a close association between law, sin, and death, now he's having to deal with, well, the law is not sinful. That's what we talked about last week. Um, uh, and this time, the law is not that, that what brings death. So, so why not? So why is it not the law that's responsible for death? Maybe another way to phrase it, what is responsible for death? Yeah, Tim. that broke the window. <laughs> Where did the baseball come from? <laughs> that, yeah, your, your household sounds so familiar, Tim. <laughs> Not me. Like, yeah, uh, my uh, siblings, we, um, we, we laugh about um, 
my sister, my oldest sister, Judy, once, this was before, probably before I was born, and or before my living memory at, at the very least. So I have no recollection of this incident. But um, she did something and um, and refused to own up for it. So like the whole, you know, the, the entirety of everybody was published or punished until they made my sister Margaret. <laughs> or no, it was Helen. They made her go up and like confess, <laughs> even though it was a false confession, uh, just so they could escape <laughs> the blame. But yeah, but, and it, it is this such a human response that like, you know, we, we blame, um, and, and particularly like, you know, we blame something else for um, what, what we ourselves, and we blame the good law um, for bringing death and, and not blaming the sin that, that actually, you know, the same way like, you know, we, you know, you know, stupid police officer gave me a ticket for speeding. Like, we're blaming the police officer for doing his job and, like, you know, enforcing the law um, instead of, you know, Mr. Leadfoot here. Like, and I, I haven't gotten a speeding ticket in a while, so <laughs> a couple of warnings, but no tickets. Um, you know, rather than taking uh, ownership of, of the, the sin, uh, we blame the, the good law for doing what the law is supposed to do. And the law has penalties attached to it. And so we can't blame the law for our violations of it. Good, what else might we say about um, you know, relationship between sin, law, and death that Paul's describing here? Yeah, so the law is, you know, and, and he's saying, uh, you know, the law is the standard, and it's showing sin to be sinful. Like, it's, it's we don't know the depths of our own perversity until we're confronted with God's good, righteous standard. Like, it, and, it, and this is what um, theologians often refer to as the third use of the law, but the law is disclosing God's righteousness to us, and it's that standard um, that is held forth from us. So the more we see and understand God's good standard, the more we understand the depth of our sinfulness, or what one Puritan called the exceeding sinfulness of sin, like, you know, we need the law to show us how abhorrent, how ugly, how repulsive sin is. And that's what the law does. And the perversity of sin is that sin, as we talked about last week, uses the law to increase more sin. That's the perversity of sinfulness in us. It takes God's good law and, and uses it to perverse ends. In this case, it produces, uh, as we saw last week in the first half of the chapter, it provokes the, the irony of the law. Sin uses the law to provoke more sin, but it's also sin uses the law to produce, to bring about death um, in a way that is not God's intention for the good law to do. 
Um, and, and that's why, you know, in the next chapter, um, you know, and I'm, the reason I'm going back to the, or going, looking ahead to the next chapter is the last part of chapter 7 is pretty bleak. <laughs> um, but he, as in all things Paul in this book, is very purposeful. Like, I always feel like he's setting me up. <laughs> like, you know, like we saw that, like he set us up for that gospel proclamation in the middle of chapter 3 by describing sin. He's setting us up again. Um, so kind of, you know, law and sin and death, but, but we've got the spirit and, and Christ that's bringing life and empowerment for us. So, so we have to understand and understand why we need the spirit. We have to understand how sinful sin really is. Um, and in this case, sin is that thing that uses God's good law to bring about death. All right, so he, he starts with this rhetorical question. Um, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through, that, through what is good. And then he goes into um, biography. Um, and I, I meant to do this, but I didn't. But, but you can see from verses um, 14 to 25 how many times the word I is used. <laughs> Um, you know, I, 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 like I is the subject of, of not every verb, but most every verb um, in this passage today. So, so why this turn to himself? How does Paul use himself to demonstrate, in a sense, the, the goodness of the law? What's, what's the purpose of this little um, self-expose that Paul is giving us here. Yeah, Kathy. Okay, so he's using himself as an example of the, the human experience. So he, he's the way, like, yeah, he's using himself to, ex, you know, to bring forward um, uh, you know, this, this truth that the law itself is, is good. Again, that's kind of the governing principle of what he's talking about here. You know, we know the law is good, and it's not the law that brings death. And then he goes into himself, uses himself, to say something about all of us. Yeah, Dick? Yeah, so, and, and I think people will use that idea of bipolar or schizophrenic um, to describe this. But, um, but Paul's trying to describe and capture this, this conflict that exists in us between the, the implementation or implanting of God's good law in us and the, the, the sin that is in us, that these two things 
aren't going to dwell easily together in the same package. Like, you put God's good law in a place where sin is, and there is going to be conflict. Like, these are opposites, and, you know, they're going to repel each other. And because both of those things are in us, they are going to be, you know, conflicting with one another. Absolutely. And, and again, it's this con like, you know, we can, can have this, this knowledge of what it is we're supposed to do, but, but the execution is, <laughs> as you say, <laughs> is exceedingly difficult. And what Paul's getting at here, in ourselves, and I think that's one of the reasons he's using I here, it, it's impossible. Like, you know, we will never perfectly fulfill the law. It's impossible for us because of that sinful part of us. And that's why we need, uh, you know, Jesus. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to equip us, you know, give us the fruit of the Spirit, to give us the weapons and armor of the Spirit in order to do these things. Um, yeah, but that, I, I like that. Um, it, it's easy to, to conceive in the mind. It's, it's much difficult to execute in the flesh. I was actually thinking of um, a similar. Um, so uh, I, I used to um, I, I used to take art classes because uh, I was an I, I did art mainly history, but my art major. Um, you know, I did art history alongside history, and the art history part of a major required me to do actual art, <laughs> studio art. And I could conceive in my mind what I wanted the picture to look like. <laughs> this is what I want to paint. Um, what ended up on the canvas, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> um, and it's, it's that, and uh, I, I struggle with perfectionist tendencies anyway. And so, like, it's, it's this idea, like, you know, we are, every action of ours, when we examine it, by God's standards, we see how it doesn't measure up. Um, but again, like I, I, I see a lot of connections um, between this this chapter, like you know, and chapter eight. Likewise, the for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And that's, so Paul is, is getting us to, to, to see how the Spirit works in us and why we need the Spirit. We need to first understand our own weakness when it comes to um, the indwelling of sin in us. Good. What else do we see in, in Paul's description? So, um, uh, to go back to Dave, like, what is this conflict we see? Yeah, Bill. Uh, I think the, the saying 
given an example of what happens in our life, and that's probably what this story is trying to draw. Yeah, and especially here when he's dealing with an internal struggle. Like, that, let's, let's face it, we're really good at, at normally hiding. Like, we, we, we want to project, like, an image. Uh, like, I want to project an image of a Steve Barry who's all together. Like, you know, that, you know, that, you know, oh, I'm fine. Like, and, but I'm being dishonest. Like, I'm, I'm projecting a dishonest picture of myself. Like, so from what you see, and this like all the time, we can look at someone and say, oh, wow, they, you know, they've got it all together. And, and, and then you talk to them and you realize, well, you know, my kids are having this struggle and I've been dealing with, um, you know, um, dietary issues. Like, you know, like, until you talk to someone, you don't know the internal struggles they're going through. And here, Paul, again, to show the law, how the law is good, he's showing how once God imprints that good law in us, you know, and he's describing this, like, this condition, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. So this is what the Spirit of God has done. It's written the law of God on Paul's heart, and he, it's good. But because of that good presence of God's law in his mind, in his heart, in his inner being, that law is, is going to, to bring to light this, con or bring this conflict about, illustrate, uh, bring to light all the sin that's dwelling inside Paul. And, and it's, it's God's good law is produced you know, once it's written in us, is producing this conflict because the law, as we saw last week, is going to expose sin. And, and as we grow in grace, um, you know, and, and this is part of sometimes people are like, well, Paul's taking this really too far here. But that's the irony. Like the, um, Tim Keller said it, um, you know, the holier we become, the less holy we feel. <laughs> Um, and, and that's true, like, because it's, it's as if we have some kind of sensitivity meter to sin. And the more we grow in grace, the, the sensitivity meter will register higher and higher levels of sinfulness. Like, um, I don't know if any of y'all saw last year being the um, anniversary of Chernobyl, there were documentaries and, and dramatizations, but... Um, like, at first, they had no idea how the radiation, bad the radiation was, because their radiation meter only went so high. <laughs> and so they were registering, oh, it's safe, because look, it's, it's, but if your radiation level only measure up to that level, like, you don't know how bad it is. Once you start getting more sensitive instruments, like, you start seeing, oh, <laughs> this is a much, much bigger problem than we thought. The robot we sent up on the roof to remove the radioactive material, why did it die? Because the radiation was so much more than even a robot could handle. Um, and of course, the sad thing is they sent people up to do what robots couldn't. Um, uh, but, but it's that idea, like the, the law is increasing our understanding 
of, of sinfulness in us. And, and that produces this eternal, internal conflict. Good. What else um, would you say about um, Paul's struggle here? Yeah, Dave. Or God. <laughs> or the law. <laughs> yeah, and, and we we um and, and we need honesty. And, and that's what Paul is is giving here. Like you know, again, think of um, that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do? And, and Jesus gives him the second table wall. And the guy's response is, oh, yeah, all these I've done since my youth. Oh, really? <laughs> um, you, know, you know, so it's, it's like the more we understand God's law, the more humbled we are and and the more we see our inability in ourselves in the face of sin. Um, and I, again, I, he's, he's painting it really starkly here. Um, and he's emphasizing the I. As, as Dave says, like, I'm the same. Like, I'm, I'm like, I want to fix stuff. Um, and, you know, I want to do it. Um, and often, like, that gets me into trouble. Like, rather than me trying to fix the plumbing problem, maybe I should call a plumber. <laughs> um, or, uh, you know, instead of me trying to fix the electrical problem, uh, call an electrician, someone who has training and knowledge of these things. And, and part of our problem in terms of sanctification, and again, this is a, Paul's, in, in this section, Paul's emphasizing sanctification, is we want to make ourselves the agents of sanctification. Like, we treat our Christian lives like a New Year's resolution. This year, I'm going to do this. And, and that lasts <laughs> two weeks, <laughs> uh, you know, a month. Um, uh, I, I, um, I remember, um, I, I guess it was in some psychology class I had, it, it takes 21 days to learn a new habit. It takes over 90 days to, to remove a bad one. <laughs> um, and and I, I think that's true in terms of like, it's, it's real easy to slip into sinful habits. Um, it, it's much more difficult to extricate ourselves from those sinful habits when we've gotten into them. And that's why we need this external agent operating in us, the spirit that Paul is going to be, you know, if you love the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 is the chapter for you because it is, you know, the, more than any other chapter in Scripture, it is the chapter that talks about what the Holy Spirit is doing in and for us. And, and what it is doing, it's the Spirit that's at work in us, making us holy in ways that we might not even be aware of. So part of what Paul's dealing with here is a perception 
problem. Like again, that's Keller's idea. The holier we become, the less holy we feel. Um, because the holier we become, the more we see sin. And the more we see sin, we start seeing sin in ourselves that we never saw before. But the irony, or the flip side that Paul's not talking about here, but he'll talk about in chapter 8, is we are actually being transformed even if we don't feel it. Um, and the example I often use for this, and yes, it is another bakery story, um, is the difference between year one when I was working at the bakery and year two, and that was my first opportunity to ever witness to anyone came not from an intentional, hey, I need to talk about Christ to my coworkers, but my coworkers saying, you're different. I didn't feel any different. Um, and, and I think in particular they were responding to, so I think I've told you I stacked pans, uh, or that's what I started with. You know, when I turned 18, I actually started with cutting the grass because I couldn't, wasn't allowed by union laws to work inside till I turned 18. On my 18th birthday, they moved me inside. <laughs> um, so I stacked pans, you know, this grueling job, pans that weighed, you know, one-sixth my body weight, and I'm stacking them for an average of 10 hours a day. Um, and, you know, and I was, a, you know, 120-pound weekling. Um, so, so my second year, I go back. Um, I become a Christian the, the um, spring semester of my freshman year. So I'm going back, and um, uh, I'm really excited because I'm not going to stack pans. <laughs> they, they put me on a different part, and the, they had hired someone else for the summer to stack pans. Um, that guy went on his first break after two hours on the job and never came back. <laughs> yeah, the guy went to break, and nobody ever saw him again, as far as I know. Um, so, you know, so I'm, you know, Mr. Happy, I'm not stacking pans, and, you know, my, my supervisor comes, taps me on the shoulder, you know, hey, Steve, we, guy left. <laughs> You're stacking pans again. Um, so I'm doing the same job, and I'm, I haven't improved at it at all. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't think my attitude towards stacking pans had improved either. <laughs> um, but it was through that, like, Again, I don't know what it was, <laughs> but my coworkers saw something in me, um, and what they saw in me wasn't a change I intentionally made in myself. I didn't say, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a better attitude toward this whole pan stacking thing. I'm not going to throw them around the room when there's bread stuck in them anymore. No! <laughs> um, I'm still, like, you know, to me, doing the same things. But they saw the spirit at work in me transforming me. Even though I still saw myself as a wretched pan stacker, um, and I still was a wretched pan stacker, um, the spirit of God was doing something in me, was at work sanctifying me in ways that other people could recognize. And I got to, you know, my first stumbling presentation. Well, actually, this past spring, I became a Christian and, and you know, told them. Um, and so that was my first chance to share the gospel. And it, it wasn't intentional, something I did. It was something the Spirit was at work in me that presented a different picture of me to my coworkers. And that's how the Spirit of God works in us. 
and sanctification. So, I, I, yeah, so a couple of things. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it goes back to this idea of, um, and I, I, like, I looked up in the confession, because I was, I was really interested as I was thinking about this, how the con confession talked about this, this idea. Um, and it says, um, they who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, A, by his word and spirit dwelling in them, B, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, C, the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving grace to the practice of holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. They are abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So, so in terms of, of, of mind, like sometimes we let the sin take, like, into the driver's seat, um, and that's the idea. Like um, I, I described this a couple of weeks ago, like sin has 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 been kicked out of power. It's no longer the ruling authority. Um, it's no longer driving the bus. But sometimes we let sin drive. Like it no longer has the the right to drive the bus. Um, but sometimes we allow sin to drive the bus, and so um, you know. There is, and I, I think to go your, we don't use the tools of the spirit. So it's not that the spirit isn't present, but we fail to use the the tools the spirit has given us. Um, and you know, as we think of like both the description of the Christian's armor um, that Paul gives us, or the fruits of the spirit that Paul um, gives us in his other letters. It's our failure to, to use the things that the Spirit gives us. It's, again, it's the lack of, of faith. Um, you know, to, to go back to um, what, what Dave was saying, like, I want to fix it. You know, I want to, you know, um, I want to deal with it myself um, and not use the tools that the Spirit has given me. 
Um, and it's the way he's been saying, you know, like, um, we, we can't let, you know, Christ has destroyed the dominion of sin. And then he tells us, turns around and tells us, don't let sin reign. Um, like, so Christ has, has done something and the spirit has done something. And the problem is we act as if those pat, that work didn't take place, that power isn't present or real, that the tools that the Spirit gives us, like, I, I don't need to pray about this. I just need to go do it. No, probably I need to pray about it a lot more than I'm, I'm, I'm doing because if I just go in myself, in my own direction, um, that is <laughs> going to end in disaster. Um, if I'm not in God's work, like, you know, that is, like, so if I'm not nurturing, um, using the tools in me, like, again, to, to use Brian's analogy of a runner, like, you know, can I run a marathon? Probably not right now, but give me a couple months, I might be able to, like, but, but, like, my sister once ran the Boston Marathon. You go ask her right now, hey, you want, you know, can you run the Boston Marathon? She'd be like, no way. <laughs> like, if you're not using, like, you know, putting these things into practice, like, you know, how can you ever expect to, to run the marathon? Like, if, if you're not using the tools that God has given you, if you're not exercising the, the disciplines of, of the spirit, um, of the Christian life, then, then, yeah, you're setting yourself up for daily failures in regards to to sin. Um, and again, this is what Paul is going to be saying in the next chapter. Like, you know, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you, and. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But again, it's by the Spirit. I can't put to death in myself the deeds of the body. Um, um, I need the Spirit and the tools that the Spirit gives. Um, so, so when we fail, and when we let sin take, you know, sit in the driver's seat, that's, you know, that's on us. Um, it's not a failure of the spirit, it's a failure of us to, to trust the spirit, to trust Christ. It's, uh, you know, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, middle evil theologians use the word habitus, like, it's us slipping back into old habits rather than using the spirit to discipline our bodies to live according to God's good law. And again, the point of this, like how does Paul know the law is good? Because it's the law written on our heart that shows us the sin that we do. It's the, not the presence of law in us that's leading to death. It's it's the spirit in us showing us our sin that you know that that helps us you know see 
sin for what it is, this exceedingly horrible thing. Um, uh, I was thinking of Lee um, this past week because um, we, we were, Lee and I are always talking about, or he's always asking about what I'm reading. Um, and um, I've been teaching for a couple of years now um, this course on disease and human history. And last year I, was it last year? Maybe it was two years ago. I don't know. But I have a memory of Lee and I talking about this book um, on cancer, the empire of, the emperor of all maladies. Um, and, um, and one of the things I, I remember talking to Lee about, and, and um, he, he always teases me, like I read one of these books and suddenly, I, like, I, I think I'm a, a doctor doctor and not the worthless kind of doctor that I am. Um, and uh, so, um, but one of the things that strikes me about, struck me about cancer and why I think it's such a good, um, uh, makes such a good analogy for sin is that at root, cancer is our own cells. Like, there are debates whether, like, is it a virus? Is it, you know, some external factor? But it's our own cells gone awry. Like, it, it, you know, cancer, and, and that's why cancer drugs are, are often um, so deadly. Because, you know, it's, you know, cancer is our cells gone awry. So to kill the cancer, you have to kill cells. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, the, you know, cancer drugs can't distinguish um, between what's a good cell and a bad cell. Like, it's, it's attacking cells, and cancer's, like, again, it's our cells. It's not um, some foreign cell. It's not like a bacteria or, you know, that's raging in us. It's our cells gone awry, and and so um, to fight the cancer, like you know, you, you, you know these these drugs are, are deadly because the cancer is is so knit in to who we are, like it's it's attached to our DNA, and sin is like that, and and that's why it's such a a painful process to to that we go through in life as sin is extricated from us by the spirit. It, it produces conflict. It produces pain. It produces suffering. But it's, it's for our good that we go through this to rid ourselves of the sin that dwells in us. And that's what the spirit is doing. Um, and here, why Paul kind of seems to be despondent, you know, wretched man that I am, like, that's the way we should feel. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this body of death? Um, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like, you know, you have to look outside yourself to, to see how you're going to be delivered from this wretched conflict going on inside you.
Um, I would express it differently. So I, I think of it in terms of, uh, and I actually, Dana, can, can, or I found one of the books I was looking for last night. I couldn't find the other book um, because the Scottish theologians are still in a box. <laughs> I couldn't find the box, the, Scottish, the right Scottish theologians box. I found three Scottish theologians boxes, but not the right one. Um, which is, it just means I need to get the Scots out of the box. <laughs> um, but, but one Scott author, Thomas Boston, described like human beings go through, um, in relationship to sin, in, in terms of our will, we go through a fourfold state. And we started off in the garden, we were able not to sin. Um, and then once we fell, we were not able not to sin. <laughs> um, so now we're in the third state, which we're now able not to sin. So, you know, again, because of, of the Spirit working in us, you know, the Spirit now gives us the ability not to sin. Um, and then our fourth state is the heavenly state when we will be not able to sin. Um, so, See, like all the negatives and able stay the same, but they where the not is. So we go from you know garden we're we're able to sin, to not able not to sin, to now we're able not to sin, and then we'll be in heaven not able to sin. Um, so yeah, so because of the spirit is is working in us, our ability to to fight sin is enabled in a way that prior to that, I like the way um, I, I did find uh, one of my Scots I was looking for, <laughs> um, uh, which again, why uh, Robert Murray Machine is in a box is, is part of my deficient Christian life. Um, but, um, but McShane said it this way, before a man comes to Christ, he hates the law of God his whole soul rises up against it. The carnal mind is enmity, etc. And he, he points to Romans 8, 7. Um, and then, when a man comes to Christ, this is all changed. He can say, as Paul does, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Um, you know, and, and it's this, this, this idea that we're, um, the other thing he says, there's peace with God, you know, but that peace with God um, brings about a constant war with sin um, because we've now allied, or God has allied with us by putting his spirit in us, you know, that it, it gives us tools, it gives us the will to now fight against the sin that we we, you know, didn't <laughs> before. It allows us to delight in the law of God that we hated before. Um, so, so, yeah, the Spirit has, has, has given our, our wills an ability that when we were still unregenerate, dead in our sins and trespasses, um, we, we didn't think like this, you know, um, we didn't have this kind of conflict, which is why the conflict is, is good. Like, the presence of the conflict is a good thing because, um, you know, 
you know, um, and again, McShane says, uh, have you experienced this warfare? So he's getting into applications. So, and since we're running out of time, um, I'll use these as my application question. Have you experienced this warfare? It's a clear mark of God's children. Um, if any of you are groaning under this warfare, learn to be humbled by it, but not discouraged. You need the blood of Jesus as much as at the first. You can never stand before God in yourself. You must go again and again to be washed. Even on your dying bed, you must hide under Jehovah our righteousness. You must also lean upon Jesus. He alone can overcome in you. Keep nearer and nearer every day. Um, so with that um, word of application, um, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you um, for producing this conflict um, in us. Um, and even as we look ahead to chapter 8, um, we know that you haven't um, uh, left us unequipped um, in this in internal warfare. But you have uh, empowered us by your spirit. And it's your spirit and work in us. It's Christ at work in us, sanctifying us. Um, and even as we grow in that holiness, um, what we're really doing is, is growing in our sense of how much we need you. Um, the more we see sin, the more we see our need for a Savior. And the more that um, we combat sin in our lives, um, and you combat sin in our lives through your Spirit, the more sin we discover. Um, so uh, work in us. Um, but help us, um, as Paul is going to say, um, to remember that though there is um, sin at work in us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because um, you who have justified us will bring our sanctification to its perfect end. That you who started a good work in us will complete that work in us as well. So help us trust in you. Help us not lean on our own understanding or our own uh, strength of our wills. Um, uh, help us to resist the temptation um, to, to be do-it-yourselfers. But help us rely on your spirit and the tools that your spirit um, gives us um, and that we see in your word to help us uh, fight against sin and ourselves and help um, this fight against sin Take us daily to the cross of Jesus Christ where we confess our sins, um, where we're honest um, before you and help us to be honest with one another, that we would encourage one another um, and by holding one another accountable in our struggles um, against sin. Uh, bless us now in the coming hour as we worship you, our God and Savior. Amen.